Merry Christmas, everybody, and welcome to the last Library Girl and Book Boy podcast of the year. You are in for a treat because today I am interviewing the legendary Nicola Davies about her latest Christmas book, and I'll be recommending a couple of first chapter books ideal for readers who want something with slightly more words in than a picture book. Enjoy! Without further ado, here I am chatting with Nicola Davies. Right, listeners, we are in for a treat in this podcast because we have the rather amazing Nicola Davies with us today, talking about her Christmas book with Barrington Stoke Publishers, which is called The Dog That Saved Christmas and is illustrated by Mike Byrne. So firstly, Nicola, welcome and thank you very much for joining me this evening. It's my great pleasure. And um, I was wondering if you could just start off by telling us a little bit about The Dog That Saved Christmas. Well, The Dog That Saved Christmas is about uh, a little boy who is not looking forward to Christmas. He finds Christmas very difficult because all his usual routines are completely overturned. And he decides that this Christmas he's going to get round all that by just stopping Christmas happening. Um, so he does all sorts of things in his family and his school to try and stop it happening. And he's getting in a state. And quite by chance, he meets a very wonderful stray dog. And through the friendship with this stray dog, he starts to come to terms with Christmas and um, calms down a bit and starts to have a nicer time. And that's one of, I think, the things I enjoyed most about your story is that it wasn't your typical jolly Christmas tale. It was told from the perspective of somebody who actually found Christmas quite challenging and didn't, you know, I didn't enjoy at all the changes that Christmas brought to um, his daily routine. Why did you choose to kind of take that angle? Um, because I've encountered many people in my life who find difficult, who find all sorts of things around Christmas difficult. Um, there are things that I don't like about Christmas either. Um, I've got family members who find various aspects of Christmas difficult. And I think for most families, there will be at least one Christmas where somebody's struggling uh, because they're grieving, because they're ill, because something's gone wrong in their life, uh, for whatever reason. Uh, and I think it's good for us all to remember that Christmas isn't always absolutely shining and marvellous and gorgeous for everybody. Um, and to remember that there are some people who are struggling and who are not happy on Christmas Day. Yeah, and I think there is actually this great expectation that everybody will be jolly and happy and the pressure sometimes to live up to that really makes problems a lot worse doesn't it? yes absolutely I mean I, I I think that's that's true for for wherever you're sitting in your family I think I always feel very much for mummies at Christmas because mummies very much are kind of making Christmas happen and I'm sure you've had this experience Joe. you're standing in the checkout of the supermarket mm. you know the day before Christmas Eve and you look along at a whole lot of other exhausted women and you think <laughs> okay why don't we just do beans on toast yeah, and have done with it, and then we won't all get our knickers in such a twist. You know, no, you're, you're quite right. No, it's a nightmare. I think sometimes we need to just relax a little bit and 
do what you really want to do but it's not always that simple is it yeah absolutely but of course children who are having a problem with Christmas have a double problem because they are really expected to to enjoy it uh, and really expected to enter into the kind of the slight chaos and mayhem of Christmas with uh, completely comfortably with a happy heart. And of course, for some children, that's just not the case. Um, no. They feel pressurised, they feel out of their depth, they feel unhappy, um, and the whole thing just turns into a nightmare for them. And they actually have very little power to do anything about it. Exactly, 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 exactly. And actually, what Jake, the little boy in my story, does is he comes to a very good accommodation with his family so that everybody can enjoy Christmas in their way. Yes. Um, Another, for me, key part of your story was highlighting the really important therapeutic role that animals can play for um, people with all types of difficulties was that something else that you particularly wanted to draw to people's attention absolutely um i did quite a lot of research for this book about um about companion animals of various sorts but obviously particularly dogs because those are the ones that are most commonly used Mm. um and i had already seen for myself um animals in in action in various educational and therapeutic contexts um, but the research that I did absolutely blew me away how these uh, how these relationships with uh, with a companion dog can really be life changing for children with all sorts of difficulties and problems. Um, and and having done that research, it really made me keen to want to write about uh, about the importance of that relationship and how it how it can help to translate the world into an acceptable form for a child who's really struggling. Yeah, no, I think the relationship between um, Jake and the dog was really beautifully told. It was nice to kind of see from Jake's perspective just how important that was to him. Well, I always love writing about dogs. Um, you know, there are, there are a few of my books which have which have dogs in it. And in some cases, the dogs really kind of step into the centre of stage and try and take over. But Susan was such a sweetie and understood Jake so well that she didn't give me any problems either. Perfect. That's what you want from a dog, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Now, um, as I mentioned um, at the beginning, this is published with um, Barrington State Publishers who specialise in printing books in a dyslexia-friendly format, but also publish really brilliant short snappy stories by very well established authors um such as yourself and i was just wondering if we could possibly hope for any future collaborations between the two of you in the future well i've so enjoyed the experience of working with barrington stoke it's been uh, it's been entirely positive and i'm utterly delighted with uh, the result that the, the first result of our collaboration, this lovely book with Mike Burns illustrations. I love everything about it. The the format, the size, the cover, the interior illustrations, and the fact that it's pint, printed on this lovely, lovely sepia paper, um, which I find so much easier to read uh, to read in. Um, so yes, there are going to be more collaborations. We've got two already sort of on, way, on the way. I finished the first of those 
um, actually just today. Wow. Um, and uh, the second, which will be a longer, uh, a longer story about, again, about uh, disability, actually, about uh, the second one is about a little girl who has cerebral palsy. Mm -hmm. So she has lots of difficulties moving uh, and she decides she wants to sail across the Atlantic. Wow. Um, now, I have I've spent quite a lot of time on small boats. I've never done Atlantic crossing. I've had to turn it down twice. But um, I have the two daughters of my great sailing and uh, whale research friend uh, are going to help me because one of them is a professional sailor who is at this moment halfway across the Atlantic. Wow. Um, and the other is a very, very accomplished sailor, in spite of the fact that she has quite um, severe difficulties because she has cerebral palsy. Well, that's brilliant. I have to say it's a real struggle to find um, books with children with these kind of conditions that are not seen as hindrances. So it's, it's brilliant that you're writing something that sounds a lot more celebratory. I'm really keen to do it. I'm really keen to um, to show people, to show a great diversity of characters mm. who, who are also heroic, who are also brave, who are also doing um, amazing things in spite of the fact that they may have various kinds of impediments. Because actually that's been my experience, you know. Um, yeah. People come in all shapes and sizes with all sorts of bits and bobs missing or not missing or not working. And um, generally speaking, it doesn't stop them if they really want to do something. No, and it's good to see children's fiction starting to reflect this more, I think. Yeah, it's great. It's really, really great. It, you know, diversity in children's fiction and in nonfiction is incredibly important. Children have to find characters that they identify with that they recognize um it's yeah. incredibly incredibly important no i i agree with you um so this kind of leads me in possibly to the answer to my next question which is about your current tenure as writer in residence for the book trust yes and i was just wondering a how that came to be and b what's your kind of manifesto your plan for your time in this position well actually the time my time in this position is kind of more than half over mm. um it only runs until february oh no um i know i know so what i've been trying to do is to encourage um it, it, children to read nonfiction, to read about the natural world but also to to experience and write about the natural world uh, and one of the things that uh, book trust and i have have done as part of my residency is to set up this competition encouraging children to write nature poetry so i've done a few little blog posts and vlogs uh, throughout my residency um, about um, about what's happening in nature now, things that kids might look at, how they might approach writing, um, a few hints and tips for writing, but very much the emphasis on children as writers, not just readers. One of the things I am passionately committed to is developing children's individual voices as, um, as writers. Uh, and that's partly 
linking back to my interest in um, in the environment and with the problems, including, of course, climate change that this coming generation is going to have to really contend with. Uh, I really feel I want to play a part in raising a generation of advocates, uh, of people who are articulate, good with words and who can raise their voices uh, to change the way we behave towards our planet. Yeah, I do think actually that children nowadays are a lot more vocal in expressing their opinions and feelings on the matters that are going to affect them um, in the future. They're a lot more politically and socially aware than perhaps they used to be. I don't know if you found that. I think that's I, I think that's partially true in some places, mm. uh, and it, but it's very dependent on what, what sort of family kids come from, what sort of school they have, what their exposure is. Um, I think there is a there is a danger, particularly at the younger end of the age range, that um, children are not encouraged to engage with the real world because adults feel they must be protected. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we can't completely protect them. We can't protect them from the sea of information which surrounds everybody these days. But what we can do is be brave as adults is to be brave and courageous in the conversations that we have with children and open up the opportunity to talk about even the most difficult and frightening things yeah and i do think that children's books are a fantastic inroad into broaching those difficult subjects so whether it's a non-fiction title or a funny book i think they're all brilliant ways of just opening up that debate and approaching it in a really non-threatening way yeah absolutely and of course they they're, they're not just they're not just supportive of the the child reader they are supportive of the adult carer the adult parent um mm-hmm. who's there with the child uh it, it it gives them a way to open up these conversations gives them a way to approach things that they might find difficult to approach on their own without the support of the narrative voice and the text and the pictures in front of them. Yeah, no, definitely. I think I can think of a lot of instances where books have proved a saviour in broaching some issues. In my own childhood and as a parent and as a teacher myself, books are a really powerful way of tapping into what's going on in the classroom or problems that there might be yeah and I think it's 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 really it's difficult because you know teachers and parents you you, you're kind of alone with your children aren't you you're kind of at home with your kids you're in the classroom with your kids uh, and that time is so completely absorbing and very very demanding that it's then very difficult to find time to share with other other adults the texts uh, the books that have you have found useful in, in those contexts. Um, but one of the things I'd, I probably won't have time to do now with this residency, but um, I may try and find a, a way of doing in future is to try and promote the sharing amongst adult educators and, and, and parents of books that, just as you describe, have been useful in approaching different uh, topics about relationships about the environment you know whatever it is and I think that's so important because my experience when I, mean, I, I love reading so to me 
I have time to read, I make time for it. But teachers and parents are so pressured um, time-wise that they don't necessarily have the available time they would like to spend finding out about new books, researching talks of, uh, books about certain topics. So I think the easier it can be made for them to discover these titles, the better, really. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, you know, social media are terribly uh, social media is terribly good for yeah. doing that. Um, you know, Twitter's fantastic. If you follow the right people on Twitter, there are lots of lovely book lists that help you to track down the books that are appropriate for exactly your child, your topic, that kind of moment in your life when you need a particular book. Um, and 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 there it is. But if you're if you're not connected up to those networks, then it's really difficult. It's really, really difficult to find out. Um to find those right books unless you are lucky enough to have an expert independent bookseller in your area um, yeah. who, who's knowledgeable about children's books yeah which are, which are hard to come by aren't they sometimes sadly Absolutely they are but they are around and they're very 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 worthwhile seeking out yes no definitely i would agree with you so um you've hinted a little bit about barrington stoke collaborations going forward do you have any um releases scheduled for next year that you can tell us about with other publishers perhaps or anything that I you're have, particularly I excited about i kind of you know once they're off my desk <laughs> kind of <laughs> where they are but um i i've got a couple of things coming out next year that are really really lovely um mm -hmm. and one is a, a book with uh the artist jane ray whose work i have adored all my adult life um, and we met for the first time a long, long time ago. I mean, probably 15 years ago. And for the first time, we've collaborated on a book and a book that it's perfect for Jane. It's about uh, it's about hummingbirds um, and it connects the human story of the Central American diaspora of a family leaving Guatemala and going to live in New York City with the story of a migrating hummingbird. Um, and uh, so that connection between the important events and tides and changes in human lives connected with nature is, you know, right at the heart of what I do. And Jane's illustrations are just absolutely gorgeous, 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 gorgeous. Um, and, and I've also got um, the next in my, uh, my Ariki series, which Ariki is a, a, a feisty little heroine who uh, lives on an island in the South Pacific at a time hundreds of years ago before Europeans went down to that part of the world. Um, and she's a navigator, she's a sailor, she's an adventurer. So I have the second of her adventures coming out next year. Wow, they both sound amazing. I have to say, your, your picture books particularly are real favourites with me in the classroom and at home because they're always so gorgeously illustrated and the stories are always so slightly unexpected but very resonant with what's going on kind of you know globally I think I just really love them I mean I bought my son um your book you did about about germs and bacteria and um about microbes and just the way that you zoomed in on these things that you haven't really seen explored in children's books before but was explained in a way that a, a six-year-old could understand it just so clever oh that's lovely that you enjoyed that book uh because it, it, that was it was really really tricky to get the tone and content of that book right mm. uh, and get the level of it right without dumbing it down too much 
on without using too much specialist language. The thing about writing that kind of scientific material for that young age group is that as an author, you have to remember that you don't need to tell them everything. They don't no. need to know everything. They just need to know enough. But of course, as you say, I am only a tiny proportion of uh, uh, of, uh, of the content of a picture book like that because Emily Sutton's illustrations are just absolutely stunning. Yes. Doing another one, just finished another one with Emily and oh, yes. she's working on the illustrations now. But for the first time, I'm doing the illustrations for one of my own books. Are you? I am. Wow. I'm doing a book about rhinos mm -hmm. uh, and extinction for a tiny owl. Um, Love so that book. about a quarter of the way doing through doing the illustrations, the text has been done for quite a while. Um, and I've got to finish them by sort of next summer. So <gasps> how, yeah. hugely scary. I know. So how are you finding having to illustrate yourself? Is it a very different uh how you would it, normally go about approaching a book or oh it's you... really it's 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 really different it's really mm -hmm. different but I have to say incredibly pleasurable I'm absolutely adoring it um and you know on a learning curve so steep I sometimes almost fall off but <laughs> you know you've got to challenge yourself haven't you definitely oh, so that that will be out probably not until 2020 everything yeah 2020 yeah. 2020 and then and then in 2020 i've got a lovely lovely book with salvatore rubino uh, oh, yes. about albatrosses coming out then story about albatrosses it always amazes me how far ahead in the publishing world things go don't they? i know i know i know and uh, you know there's lots of other things coming out next year as well but mm. uh, you know i kind of forget where they are in the year and they pop up and I think oh yeah I'd almost forgotten about that book. I remember writing <laughs> I remember that one I remember that one yeah I'll keep my eyes peeled brilliant thank you so just my final question to bring us back around to Christmas again um, in my household we have um, a box of books that only come out in December all our Christmas books and we read the same ones every year we always add lots of new ones and I was just wondering if there were any kind of book-based Christmas traditions in your household perhaps when you were growing up or presently that you'd like to share that's so lovely to have a box of books that you read at Christmas what a fabulous idea gosh I wish I'd thought of that when my kids were growing up <laughs> um when I come from a Welsh family um and my parents were both big readers um, particularly loved poetry and Dylan Thomas was very beloved in our house right um, so I can remember the Christmas that my how old would I have been about 12 well my mum bought me a child's Christmas in Wales um, and then that opened up all of Dylan Thomas to me absolutely wonderful oh. uh, and I have a copy of Under Milk Wood by my bed to this day so it just shows what a lasting impact those kind of childhood interactions with books has doesn't it absolutely absolutely that and my father reciting keats to me when i was very tiny well you had no choice but to become a, a writer <laughs> on top of no, all your actually, other you know it took me a long time to realize it but yeah i think i think really i didn't have a choice no well it was inevitable i think inevitable and were there any um favorites with your your own family when they were growing up or um 
we read loads and loads of things together when they were little but they both learned to read very fluently uh, and very independently quite early on and then kind of pursued their own reading paths but we did read we read the whole of the lord of the rings mm-hmm. together a couple of times uh and i had to do different voices for all the dwarves wow and i get sometimes you know whether Keeley had an Irish accent or a Scots accent. Uh, and uh, and the kids would remember and they'd tell me off. They'd say, no, oh, that's, yeah. not, that's not how Keeley sounds, Mum. You're not yeah. doing it right. Yeah, they do like to do that, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure, you're, I'm sure all kids do that. Yeah, I think they do. They like to point out if you haven't quite got something spot on. <laughs> they're very good at doing that. Oh, no. Well, that's lovely. Thank you. I have come to the end of my questions now. So I'd just like to say a, a massive thank you for um, coming on and chatting to us about all your exciting book-based plans for the coming year. And I can wish you a Merry Christmas because we're in December. So no we one can tell are. We're allowed to do that now. And it's so close to Christmas now. Yeah, putting our Christmas tree up this weekend. Yes, us too. I managed to hold off. Yeah, exactly. Hold it off for as long as possible, I think. Yeah. Well, the kids go, my kids, because they're still quite small, if it's any sooner than that, they just get too excited. Yeah. And we just can't sustain that level of excitement. For no, them. they're just exhausted for the time Christmas comes around and actually they just want to lie down under a duvet. Yeah, as do we all. all. <laughs> oh, gosh, don't we just? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. But anyway, thank you very much and have a lovely Christmas. It's a great pleasure. Lovely to talk to you, Jo. And thank you. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I'm pleased to say that my Christmas tree, if not my decorations, are now up and I hope Nicola's are too. I cannot wait to see what she has coming next year. Her books are always fantastic. So that brings me on to the recommendations section of my podcast. And today I've got some books which fall into the tricky category of first chapter books. It can be really hard choosing a book that's slightly more wordy and challenging but is also age appropriate for the child who is perhaps just developing confidence in reading independently. But I've got two Christmas crackers for you today. The first title I'd like to recommend is Winnie and Wilbur The Santa Surprise written by um, Laura Owen and Corky Paul and published by Oxford University Press. Now many of you will know Winnie the Witch from her really funny um, picture books but this is actually a longer first chapter book adventure for Winnie and Wilbur. Now it's approaching Christmas and Winnie and Wilbur are busy writing their Christmas lists when Winnie starts to wonder who gives Santa his presents. Once she has started thinking about it, she can't get it out of her mind. So she heads down to the local primary school to chat to little ordinaries and get some amazing gift ideas, which she sets about making to the very best of her ability. And then she heads to the North Pole to deliver them. However, being Winnie, things don't go quite to plan. A really funny read with some beloved children's book characters. My second recommendation is by Italian best-selling author Bianco Pizzorno and is illustrated by the great Quentin Blake and published by Catnip Publishing. It's called Lavinia and the Magic Ring. 
Now, Lavinia is a modern-day match girl. She spends her time finding somewhere to shelter in the squares of Milan, trying to sell matches to unwilling passerbys. And on one particular cold and miserable night, a fairy steps out of a taxi and offers her a ring in exchange for some matches. Now, this ring has rather peculiar magic powers and could just transform Lavinia's fortunes for the good. But it can also change anything in its sight into something which would cause quite a nasty stink. Will Lavinia be able to use her new powers wisely? This is the perfect chapter book for anybody who loves a good bit of toilet humour. It is really funny and I would definitely recommend this author whose work I haven't read very much of before. My final recommendation is another first chapter book which comes from a picture book series. It's called Shifty, McGifty and Slippery Sam, Jingle Bells. And it's written by Tracy Cordroy and illustrated by Stephen Lenton and published by the lovely people at Nosy Crow. Now this book is brilliant because it is highly illustrated, hilarious and it actually features three stories for the price of one. In the first story... Um, Santa's presents have been stolen and Shifty and Sam set out to help him. In the second story there is some monster trouble at a fairground and in the final story an evil cat has cursed Sam. I absolutely adore the picture books, they are gorgeous and these first chapter books are every bit as good. Bye bye bye. I do hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, make sure you remember to download and subscribe so you don't miss out when we're back in the new year. I would also love to hear from you if you are looking for any recommendations of what to read next or of books to go with topics you're doing in school. Please do get in contact. You can either get in touch with me via Twitter where I'm masquerading as at BookSuperhero2 you can get hold of me on my blog, www.librarygirlandbookboy.wordpress.com or if you prefer something a little more old school, you can find me on my Facebook group, Library Girl and Book Boy. Do please get in touch. Well, that's it. That's me signing off until the new year. I intend to eat my body weight in mince pies, drink lots of hot chocolate with squirty cream and, of course, read a lot of amazing books. I hope that Santa brings you all something good to read as well. I have a big pile to try and get through before the new year. Um, speaking of the new year, make sure you do join us back on the Live Girl and Book Boy podcast because I have a special interview coming up with the authors, authors of You're Safe With Me which has just been nominated for a Slip Greenaway medal and the newer addition to the series, which is called You're Snug With Me, which, of course, is written by Chitra Soundar and illustrated by Poonam Mystery and published by the wonderful, diverse publisher Lantana. Please make sure you join us. Have a lovely Christmas. Goodbye.